Welcome to St. Pat's Chat, a brand new podcast from the seminarians at St. Patrick's Seminary in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Some of the best and most honest discussions we've had about God and His Church were not in debates with rivals, but rather in chats with our friends. We hope that this podcast will be a chance for you to listen in on some of our conversations about God, His Church, and life as a seminarian. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Welcome, everybody, to our newest episode of St. Pat's Chat. I am your host for today, Patrick German from the Diocese of Stockton. I am a pre-theologian, my second year, and today I am joined by... Scott Borba from the Diocese of Fresno, and I am in my first year of theology. Dr. Nina Herrmann, I am from Germany, but I teach at St. Patrick's Seminary and University since 2018, and I teach scripture. Thank you so much for being here. I, we... I know we all have very busy schedules, especially here at seminary. And doctor, you're our professor at seminary. You have a lot of things going on outside of your duties here to the seminary. So thank you for being here. We appreciate your time and your commitment. Um, but another reason we were talking prior to our recording here, the reason for why you are, why as a German in California, as you said, um, has to do with Our Lady and in particular the apparitions at Medjugorje. And so to begin our larger discussion of Our Lady and of those apparitions, could you explain a little bit more about what you meant? Yeah, so very quickly, I uh, grew up in a, in a Catholic family. I'm the oldest of six, and we went to Mass every Sunday, which in Germany is extraordinary <laughs> for people of my generation. But that was about the extent of the Catholicism I knew as a child. And then when I was 13, my parents heard about Our Lady apparently appearing in Medjugorje, which is a tiny village back then in Yugoslavia, now Bosnia-Herzegovina. And full disclosure, my mother had studied theology in Germany. And if you follow the news about Germany, you know that studying theology in Germany back in the 60s was maybe not a good idea. And so those professors had been successful in eradicating any devotion to Our Lady in my mother. And when she heard about Our Lady appearing, it gave her goosebumps, but in the negative sense. But because she had been raised to be a polite young lady, she thought, well, but if there is the slightest doubt, and this is really Our Lady, and God is really sending his mother, well, then, even though I don't like Marian devotion, it would be extremely unpolite not to go. And so just out of her good education, she decided to go, in case it's God's mother, and present herself. And so she took myself and my brother with her. Thanks be to God, because for me, having grown up in the context of a German church that was already starting to fall apart, I'd never, ever experienced God um, in any tangible way. Um, at, in Sunday, the priests were talking about communism in Russia or you know, about all kinds of anthropological stuff, but never about Jesus. So there, it was impossible to really encounter the Lord. And coming to Medjugorje, I was 13. I hated going to Mass on Sunday. And suddenly we had a full week of doing nothing but prayer. We would spend three hours in that church every night, packed with thousands of people. I couldn't understand a word. And yet it was the most beautiful time I'd ever experienced in my life. And these three hours would go by like 10 minutes we had nothing to eat in that week. We were sleeping on the floor, and it was the most beautiful week of my entire life. And so it was completely unexplicable to myself. All I knew coming back to Germany was God exists, and the Catholic Church must be the right church, because otherwise Mary wouldn't be appearing. Yeah? It was like heaven on earth tangible. 
And so I came back to Germany and there was no follow-up, um, you know, no no adoration, no no practice of the faith except for going to Mass on Sunday. Um, and na naturally, like all children of my, my generation, um, I just went with the world and started, um, because of my family background, I ended up in quite of a kind of a jet set environment <laughs> in which I had soon visited the entire almost every continent and I was I was very um spoiled thanks to my friends. Um and I started I studied law. Um my idea was to get married, have six children and um Basically, I thought if I if I study law, then maybe I can help poor people with my law degree and my husband earns the money. <laughs> and, but the deeper I got into this really jet set world, the more I was feeling this is strange. I've every dream young people would dream of has been fulfilled to me. And why is my heart so empty? And at that point, my younger brother went off to join the Legionaries of Christ. And so I started thinking, well, maybe if God is so real, he can call my brother to the priesthood. Um, maybe I myself should seek if God has a plan for me too. And that really brought me uh, eventually back to Medjugorje because so I was here, I was just doing my, sec my bar exam. I was dating someone. And, you know, when you do your bar, you're about to start your career. You wonder whether this is the man you should get married to. And he was a non-practicing Protestant. So I figured I'll bring him to Medjugorje. It'll be so evident for him as it had been for me that Our Lady is appearing, that the Catholic Church is the correct church, and then we live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> and so the two of us went to Medjugorje, and soon enough, Our Lady had her own way in telling me that maybe before focusing on his conversion, i rather become a Catholic myself, <clears throat> not by namesake, but really. And... Okay, to cut a very long story short, um, what happens is when I had first gone to Medjugorje, that was like in 1985, and when Our Lady started appearing there, what she would always say is, children, the Heavenly Father is allowing me to appear to bring you back to my son, because unless the world converts, it is heading towards its own destruction. Pray, 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 only then there will be peace. And when she was talking about peace, in 1981, she started, people were saying, what's she talking about? Peace. We are at peace. War is only in somewhere else in the world. And lo and behold, 10 years later, this horrible war broke out in Yugoslav former Yugoslavia and the entire Balkan was fighting each other. So when I went back now in the 90s, I realized that this is about something serious. And I wanted to, I didn't want to die, face Our Lady and have her ask me, Nina, you were believing that I appeared. Why didn't you answer my call? Why didn't you help me? And so just for fear of my heavenly mother, I started living the messages, meaning she says, go to confession regularly. Pray with your heart. Make the Eucharist the center of your life. Fast twice a week and read the Bible. Now, the first four messages were easy comparatively, <laughs> but Bible for me was the most boring thing. And so, well, eventually... Through Medjugorje, starting to live the messages, eventually I participated in a retreat that made the Bible come alive. And then I felt, okay, my, uh, the one place, I just felt that Our Lady was calling me because it had been so hard for me to find the Bible interesting. And then I got this gift to be attracted to the Bible, that I should give my life to the church in the way that I help. Well, eventually I didn't plan this, but this is how it worked out. Um, I 
studied the Bible in order to, to understand the word of God myself somehow better and then help those who end up preaching it. And that's you guys <laughs> who will be out there in the parishes and hopefully opening up the word of God to the people. Because the word of God is Jesus Christ himself. And if Our Lady wants us to know the Bible, it's because she wants us to know her son Jesus. And what does St. Jerome say? Not knowing the scriptures is not knowing Jesus Christ. Yes. Oh, that's, thank you. That's so beautiful. I just want to comment on that first. That's an incredible thing. And now it's it strikes me as funny that you say, oh, I didn't like reading the Bible. That was the hardest one for me. And now you teach almost exclusively scripture classes here at seminary. Praise God. Such an incredible thing. Um, and that's something that I haven't personally encountered this in my life so much, but that's something that Catholics often get accused of is, oh, you worship Our Lady and the Mary is like a goddess or something like that. And it becomes this thing that it's as if she's taking away from Jesus. And the more you, in my experience, the more you foster a devotion to Our Lady and to the Blessed Mother, the more you can't help but fall in love with Jesus and grow closer to him because she doesn't lead you to her. She leads you to him. And I... That was something crucial to my discernment was praying the rosary every day. I prayed it for every day for about six months, uh, discerning, asking the Lord specifically, what do you want me to do? I was uh, wondering, just, I have a career, I have a job, I should, I'm happy on paper, but what do you want of me, Lord? It's always that bigger question, a dangerous question. Um, but I know, Scott, you and I have talked about that a little bit before, also um, how the Blessed Mother is a part of this, and I was... We've had some very good conversations about that also, but I'd like to, uh, for you to share a little bit of that as well. How sure. Blessed uh, Mother has been involved with your conversion. Yeah, sure. Um, and it ties back to Magigori perfectly. Um, my first um, real understanding of our Blessed Mother came when I was about uh, 10 years old. And my mother asked uh, if I wanted to run for presidency uh, of my eighth grade class. And uh, there was a gentleman named Andy Parker. Mm. <laughs> I know the name. Um, <laughs> and he was the most popular guy. Um, and my mom said, if you have faith in our Blessed Mother and our Lord, and you pray to her, um, if it's good for your soul, and it's good for you and the, the people around you, then she will grant it, and she'll, or she'll ask our Lord to grant it. So... That was the first time that I truly picked up the rosary on my own, and I um, went and knelt before a statue of our Blessed Virgin Mother, and I prayed the rosary, and lo and behold, the next day, I won with a landslide. People at the school and the professors, the, the president, all didn't know what happened, because this guy was the most popular guy. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that literally, I was just like, whoa. She is real, you know. Mm. So, um, so my devotion and my relationship to her, she turned in that day to my true mother. Because at, after that, I spoke to her about every aspect of my life, from my issues, my challenges, my my good, my bad. Um, when I was walking home from school, um, I would talk to her. Um, so it was uh, a very important. Uh, building block for for my relationship with her and uh, soon later with our Lord. Well, um, I went to Catholic school primarily outside of um, Redwood High School, which was a public school in the Central Valley. So it's a, you know, it's a very farming community. Um, 
And uh, I finally went back to uh, college at uh, Santa Clara University. And it's a Jesuit university. And there um, I, I, I was surrounded uh, by men and women that were very, very um, privileged uh, and very wealthy. So most of the kids had brand new Alfa Romeo convertibles and Saab convertibles and BMW convertibles. And I was like, this is what happiness is, you know? Mm. So I was just like, I want some of this, but not just some of it. I want all of it and I'm going to get it. And I had this desire that was beyond normal for anyone around me um, that you could ever possibly imagine. Even for myself, I thought it was a little bit interesting of why I wanted so much power and fame and fortune, but that's what I went after. Um, after I got my degree in psychology, I went to Los Angeles. Um, and my parents said, I will not give you any money if you go down there, if you're going not to utilize the, um, the education that we gave you. And I said, no problem. So I packed up my car with my clothes and my stereo, and I lived in a, uh, a little uh, room in somebody's house initially. And mm -hmm. I ate, uh, I had a $3 budget per day. So I went to the dollar store, and that's pretty much how I made <laughs> my way through. But I had such a desire that I had three jobs. I was involved in the entertainment business. Um, I, also I was also a commercial real estate uh, uh, broker or I should say agent. And um, I fell into a company uh, that was selling cosmetics. Hmm. And uh, they were, there were um, a couple of young individuals, uh, probably in their early 20s, that had super famous success. They were in TV magazines in Sephora, and Sephora was a huge... It's a huge global uh, cosmetic corporation. And, mm -hmm. I, and I noticed that it was easy for me to do the same thing if I worked hard for it. So that's what I did. Um, mm -hmm. Within that time, I, I um, uh, worked my way through big corporations like that of Neutrogena Johnson & Johnson as the head uh, launching the men's line, Murad helping to relaunch their company. And then I uh, took a jump and uh, worked with a couple of investors in New York to create Elf Cosmetics, which is um, uh, humbly at this, I'm not part of it anymore, but it is currently, if I'm not mistaken, the number one cosmetic brand in the entire world, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty interesting uh, just because um, uh, I, I was driving to Santa Clara and I rode down the window and I spoke to Jesus directly out the window, and I screamed it, and I said, Jesus, if you help me achieve some of these dreams that I have, I will give you back in service the rest of my life, but just give me some of these things that I need to get out of my system. And I, and this is how I sp spoke to the Blessed Mother and to our Lord. I don't know what came over me, because I'm not like this with my mom and dad. <laughs> <You> know, so <laughs> so um, I started uh, to—we uh, had lots of traction. Uh, Target was our first store, and it just— went crazy in Target. And then it went to the uh, Walgreens, and then it went to uh, Walmart, and then it started going everywhere. Uh, we started to do our own shops in New York and all these different things. And um, so after that, uh, I asked the investors to create another concept with me, which was called Borba Water, which is the first ever skincare water. And I launched that into retail, uh, into Sephora. 
um, which that was the dream I had, right? Mm. And so um, I asked them if they would put refrigerators into a cosmetic venue and have candy sold, you know, skincare candy, skincare water, skincare, uh, you know, <laughs> food products. Mm. And they thought I was the craziest guy ever. And the, C the CEO had his whole corporate office fly into San Francisco to meet with me to validate and my concept. And everyone within the two-hour meeting time uh, literally hands down said, we are going to launch a brand nationally at once, which is unheard of for a, a brand new brand. It was only myself and my business partner that had it. And they said, are you ready to go? We're going to give you a massive PO today. Mm. And I'm like, sure. And I literally ran out of the conference room into another conference room with a with a uh, with a telephone, and I called my business partner. I said, "We need to order all these raw materials. We don't have, we don't know what we're going to do." Uh -huh. So what happened was, in the next year, Borba became one of the number one prestige uh, skincare brands in all of America. Um, and I know, and God had blessed me yet again with with things. What happened was during that time, my mother, just like Dr. Harriman's mother. Um, noticed that there was an article in the hometown paper that had uh, an individual who came back from Magigori that his rosary turned gold. Mm. And uh, it was such a big story in our town that our newspaper uh, did a front cover story on it. My mom saw it and said, I'm taking my whole family here because if the Blessed Mother's there, I have to go. She took the whole family. Now, I was in Los Angeles. I was really caught up in the whole world fame, fortune, everything. So I didn't want to go, but my dad demanded that I, that I go with the family. So I went over there. When I went there, the, the Blessed Mother planted a seed in my heart that, um, that I was to be something different than what I wanted to be. But I didn't know what that was. And that was my first time there. Um, and I knew that she changed my life, but I didn't know how, because when I went back, what, like Dr. Harriman was saying, the life that I led with the cars and the houses and everything else that I had, I even had uh, the founder of MySpace, uh, which was my which was my lead investor for Borba, uh, all the parties and all the stuff that we went to um, did just didn't feel right when I went back. Um, slowly, I started to have this conversion, and I didn't know what it was. And then uh, a couple years later, um, the Blessed Mother's birthday is on the, uh, the 8th of September every year, and I wanted to go ahead and visit her on her birthday, as she's always been my true mother. But I thought to myself, I've never visited you. I'm going to make a pilgrimage just for your birthday because I love you. So I went there, and that was the second time. The second time I went there, I went by myself, and that's truly when she took me. She took me, and she, she placed in my heart the the feeling of uh, priesthood, but again, I was completely of the world. So I went back again, and I was just like, "Why am I so drawn to this place?" And I, f she gave me tons of opportunities to see miracles when I was there, from the smelling of the roses to the miracle of the sun to uh, the the glowing of the cross and cross mountain, uh, you name it. I she allowed me to experience all these miracles. So there was no question that that God existed, she existed, angels and saints existed. Um, but again, I wasn't ready for that. On the third time, I went with my spiritual advisor at that point because I got one. And um, we went over there, and that is when truly our Blessed Mother, after confession, 
at St. James Church, uh, she spoke to my heart, and she, uh, she told me how blessed and how loved I was. And ever since then, I felt the love that she placed in my heart, which was more love than I've ever felt ever in my life, times one million. And I didn't want that second to ever leave me that I said, I'm going to give myself to your son and to you because I, cause you and your son are connected in every which way. And if I'm giving my son, myself to your son, then I'm going to give myself also to you. And uh, after that, um, that's when I entered into seminary. And if it wasn't for Magigori, if it wasn't for Our Lady helping me get there, uh, then um, I wouldn't be here today. And, and I've given up my life and everything that I had before uh, so I could be here and be true to the calling that our Lord and our Mother gave me. Praise God. What <laughs> beautiful things. It makes, again, thinking back to my life, my, I was telling someone about this the other day, I can't recall who, but uh, my, on my mother's side, Scott and I, we have, we've talked about that before too. We're both Portuguese on, uh, he's on both sides. Well, I'm on my mother's side. Uh, but there's a strong devotion to Our Lady in particular in California with things called festas or basically just novena festivals. Um, you can go from one end of the state to the other over the course of the fall and participate in any number of Marian festivals. And one in particular that has a close connection to me is the Our Lady of Miracles uh, festival at the Our Lady of Miracles Shrine in Gustine, California. My grandmother, uh, God bless her if she's listening to this podcast, uh, she was uh, 49 at the time that this happened, and she had been going to that festival for a time. But then her and my grandfather found out she had had seven children already, and she found out that they were going to be expecting another another baby. And she said, Blessed Mother, if you, if this child survives, I, she prayed the, was praying the rosary every day already, but she said, I'll continue praying the rosary every day and I will make it to, as long as I can, I will make it to that festival every year. And now my aunt, Natalie, she's 20, she's getting older now. I can't remember how old she is. If she's listening to this too, hi, Nat. Uh, she's my confirmation sponsor also. So that's an incredible thing. She has a beautiful family. Her husband works really hard and it's because of Our Lady, because of her intercession. And that has been something that's been uh, critical to my life also. Wonderful. Medjugorje obviously has a big role to play in both of your conversion stories. Um, I have another aunt on my dad's side who her and her husband and their sons are very involved. Hi, Aunt Trudy, if you're listening to me right now. Uh, they went to Medjugorje a couple times, and they have a very, very strong devotion to it also. There is a little bit of some gray area surrounding the apparitions, though. And so when we return from this break... We will discuss a little bit more about the history surrounding Medjugorje, the uh, things that we maybe need to know about it, and possibly how it is connected to other Marian apparitions in Europe and in the world at large. So we'll be right back with more of St. Pat's Chat. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again to our second half of St. Pat's Chat about Our Lady and devotion to the Blessed Mother. Uh, we've been speaking a little bit about the particular apparitions of Our Lady at Medjugorje. And before we begin, we just want to offer this up to her, offer this up to Our Lady, and ask for her intercession as we continue our conversation and go forward. And so we pray, remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection 
implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To you do I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions. In thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, as I mentioned, uh, Medjugorje is going to be what we'll be talking about more specifically at the beginning of this half of our podcast. Um, again, there is a little bit of some grayness surrounding this apparition and the events um, that occurred there. Uh, doctor, you have a, I don't know what I would call it, a special interest. Did you, you have your conversion story, obviously, but um, you provided us with a little bit of background about Medjugorje uh, because our seminary will be taking a pilgrimage to Poland and also to Medjugorje. Uh, someone has provided that for us so generously and so graciously. Um, and so in an effort to prepare us, you provided us with some background and some historical insight that I think knows very helpful for me. And so I would just like, uh, if you would be so kind, to share some of that uh, context regarding the apparitions at Medjugorje. Yeah, happily. Um I'm 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 aware that uh, many people have often heard the name and uh, heard um, anecdotal stuff, something positive, something negative. Before I tell the story, what I want to say is, wherever there is lots of light, where God is, I mean, Satan obviously also shows up uh, and fights the Lord. So we shouldn't be surprised that if Our Lady is appearing there, that um, somehow uh, there'll also be attacks. But much more importantly, how did Medjugorje start? Now, we have to go back to 1981. Mm. And the beautiful story is, or this beautiful part of the story, that there is an American sister who plays a somewhat providential role in the story. And many of our listeners might know her. Her name is Sister Breach McKenna. She's a sister who, who might be from Florida, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, she was involved with, the, she got involved against all her own desires with the charismatic movement in the 70s, and the Lord gave her a gift of healing, which she herself didn't want. <laughs> but so she ended up and still is doing this. She's, she goes around the world and she preaches healing retreats mainly to priests and bishops. So she's very well known amongst the hierarchy. And in 1981, she was giving a priest retreat in Italy. And priests from Bosnia-Herzegovina, Franciscans, were also participating. And there was one particular priest called Father Yozo. He went up to her in despair, saying, Sister, please pray for my parish. I have the most hard-hearted, unconvertible parish in all of Bosnia-Herzegovina and beyond. <laughs> Sister Breed started praying for him, and she said, I'm seeing a yellow church with two towers, and there's two mountains in the background, and lots of fields, and it's, it's a small village. Does that ring a bell? And he said, that's exactly what my church looks like. And then she said, oh, Father, don't worry. Our Lady herself is going to take care of your parish. I see thousands of people coming to your parish. And of course, he thought she was just, you know, <laughs> it kind of made him maybe wonder if she was really a true visionary or a true charismatic. Anyway, he, he, he went back home and this was in May. And on the tw eve of the 24th of June, in actually in, in his absence, on the eve of the 24th of June in 1981, remember John Paul II had his, um, the, the attempt of his life only mm. just in, in May, May 13th, mm. connected to Fatima very closely. Um, so June 24th, 1981, Six children who are not related to each other and in very different ages. The youngest one, Yaakov, was nine. The oldest one, Vitska and I Ivan, were 16. 
the girls were friends, but, you know, Yaakov wasn't normally hanging out with 16-year-old girls. That's what nine-year-old boys do. They play football, soccer mm -hmm. in English. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> these children were out there bringing the sheep back home, and suddenly they saw this lady on on the mountain, which is called Podbrodo. It's now called the, the Apparition Hill. And they saw the lady and they didn't know what to do. Vitska, the oldest one, was so afraid she took off her shoes and ran home. <laughs> and then they were telling. Some of them were silent at home, and, but Vitska couldn't keep her mouth and she told her grandmother. And the grandmother said, Vitska, that might be the gospel. Go back tomorrow, bring holy water and sprinkle the lady with holy water. And if she stays, she's from God. If she disappears... She, that is Satan. So the next night, not the same six children, but only four of the same went back to the place, plus two other ones. The one girl, Milka, who had been there the first night, she didn't go back and she never saw Our Lady again. The other four, plus the two newcomers, they all saw again this lady on the hill and the lady was giving them signs with her hands they should come nearer. And Our Lady asked them to do her the favor to come back the following evenings. Now, very quickly, the news spread, and even the next day, there were already a couple of hundred people. At the end of the week, there were like thousand people coming and gathering. Every time the same phenomena would produce itself, the children at a certain hour would see this lady and run up the hill in a, a, so fast that nobody else could follow them, and they would fall on their knees all at the same time, look in the same direction and start talking, but you couldn't hear their voices. Nobody else could see anything except for these six children. And what they, they said, so they were all describing the same beautiful lady who I, whom they said was the Gospa. Now, Gospa is the Croatian name for the mother of the Lord. Gospodin is the Lord and the Gospa is the mother of the Lord. She was asking everyone in the village to, uh, if they were willing to live the mess, to, to live what she was asking them to do, saying what I already said in the first half of the podcast, she said, the world is going further and further away from God and it's running towards its own destruction unless it comes back to my son Jesus. And then she would say, mir, mir, mir. And mir in Croatian means peace. That is the central message of Medjugorje, mir. And in the beginning of the apparition, sometimes people would see the term mir written in golden letters in the sky. Now, to summarize um, these first apparitions and even the first years of the apparitions, Our Lady, and this is quite remarkable, for the first six years of the apparitions, so first thing that's remarkable, she started, she, she has been coming every single night since the 24th of June of 1981. The 24th of June in itself is a program because that is the day of John the Baptist, obviously. John the Baptist, what did he do? He called the people to conversion to prepare Israel to encounter its Messiah. Here is Our Lady giving the same message as John the Baptist, starting on his feast day and calling people to conversion to come back to her son, preparing us to encounter her son Jesus. These thousands of people who started flocking there because Bosnia, Herzegovina, there's a huge Croatian population and most of these people are Catholics, but it's, a, it's a, like a, an area of the world where three, two Christian confessions meet each other, the Orthodox, the Catholic and the Muslims. Many Catholics started coming, and of course, this is communist Yugoslavia. You're not allowed to gather. You're not allowed to pray. So very quickly, the militia started persecuting these children and really persecuting them, putting them in prison um, under almost torture, 
asking these children to deny what they were saying, and these children refused to deny, but always kept on saying, the gospel is talking to us. In the meantime, now, the priest whom I mentioned in the beginning came back, and he thought these children were just making this all up because they were bored. You know, it's a poor country. They had nothing else to do. And he was convinced they were just telling stories. Until one night he was in his church and he was praying to Our Lady, asking her what he should do to bring these children and the people back to reason. And he heard this voice telling him, protect my children. And at that moment, the children were outside of the church, knocking on the door, asking to be led into the church. And behind the children was the militia trying again to put them into prison. So he took the children in and from that moment onwards, he started defending them. The basic messages then she gave was, which I already met, which I mentioned, um, to to lead a life of conversion, to start fasting regularly. Now, behold, we're just 16 years after Vatican II. The church had thrown any kind of asceticism out of, outside the window. The church had stopped believing in prayer. Everything was about being active, uh, you know, helping the poor, which is great, but not of, out of our own strengths without prayer. Um, so basically. What she's been doing ever since, but this is what I told you on that night and which is so remarkable, I find. For the first six years, she only addressed messages to the parish of Medjugorje because she said, I want this parish to become a model parish for all the other parishes in the world and everyone in the village is part of my plan. You convert and then when this parish will become uh, a living church, then you be then." Through this parish, I will start speaking to the entire world. So it's only in 1987 that through always the same visionary, uh, Maria Pavlovich, she now gives messages to the entire world. Now, you know, people have been saying uh, there's some misunderstandings. Some people, you know, once the Holy Father referred to Our Lady saying, I don't believe that Our Lady would be giving messages like every day, like emails. But he clearly wasn't referring to Medjugorje because in Medjugorje she gives a, a message once a month on the 25th and that's it. And these messages um, get communicated, translated in all the languages. And as a scripture scholar, it's kind of been my hobby for the last 20 years to look at these messages and see how they conform to the teaching of the church and the scripture. And of course, I'm not... Um, the magisterium at all. But in my humble little knowledge of scripture and the teaching of the church, I've never found anything in them that would contradict the gospel. On the In the opposite, Our Lady's messages are like spotlights on the gospel and underlining the aspects of the gospel that we need to, to live. What's particularly striking is that what she is doing through that parish is exactly what Lumen Gentium envisions for the church Namely, that the church is, will only be alive if every member of the church lives his or her vocation. So many people have an understanding of the church as, okay, it's the religious, the priests and the bishops, but we lay people, we can just be out in the world and, you know, we don't really matter. No, Our Lady is telling us every single cell in the body of Christ is important. So her very first message in 1987 was, children, your imagination is too small to know the role that each and every one of us has in God's plan of salvation of the entire world. And that is exactly what Lumen Gentium says about the church, that everyone who is a Catholic, everyone who has been baptized into the church is part of that instrument of salvation, which 
The church is for the entire cosmos. So there's not a single member in the body of Christ that doesn't have a vocation and is not vital in God's plan of salvation for the world. And by the messages she, she's giving, which are so simple, right? They're just lead a dedicated Catholic life. Make the Eucharist the center of your life. And that's what Vatican II said. The Eucharist should be the source and summit of our life. That's what Our Lady teaches us there. To be ready to receive the Eucharist, we need to go regularly to confession and then not use the Eucharist like a fetish, but it should lead us to having a deep, intimate relationship with Christ. So she's always talking about pray with your heart, pray with your heart. Yeah, Prayer should become like the oxygen of your blood you sh to the point that you cannot live without prayer. Pray to the point that prayer becomes a joy without which you cannot live. And then listen to God's word in the scripture because the, the word of God will be a path to the light on your path. Yeah, I think that in a nutshell is, um, is what's going on. What is the message? Um, maybe uh, just in addition, so these six children, obviously in the meantime, they've all grown up. Um, uh, when they were at the very beginning of the apparitions, they asked Our Lady, what do you want us to do with our lives? And Our Lady said, oh, do you want us to become religious? And Our Lady said, well, of course, I'd love if all of you became religious, but you are entirely free God honors nothing more than your own free will and you're free to choose what you want. Now, the interesting thing is that a couple of them um, desired religious life and tried. Um, with regards to this, I can only recommend that you read Miriana Soldo's book, My Immaculate Heart Will Triumph, which gives a beautiful account of her own discernment and is very impressive, even for young people who are discerning themselves. It's very helpful to read. Um, Ivan, for example, he joined the seminary, but you can imagine if you see Our Lady every night, <laughs> that's no fun in a seminary. Your brothers wouldn't like that. So anyway, they all ended up uh, marrying, which is part of, which is a vocation in the church and which, again, Vatican II is a legitimate path to holiness. So to hold it against these children that they didn't become religious is uh, not uh, not a good argument. Um, married life is a path to holiness. And thanks be to God, all these six children are now married and have um, a handful of kids, each and every one. The interesting thing is not all the six have the same vocation. One of them, uh, Witzka, in the very beginning of the apparition, Our Lady said, do any of you want to suffer for my intentions? And... Out of the six, only one, she's very impulsive. She said, yes, I want. And uh, and Our Lady said, okay. And ever since Witzka has had um, mysterious brain tumors, comas, the doctors can't figure it out. She's, at one point, she spent eight years in a coma. But every night, just before the apparition, she would wake up, be able to eat something, see Our Lady, and go back into the coma. And then she herself predicted when the whole coma would stop and people were saying the priests, hey, don't give these predictions. And she said, why not? Our lady told me it's going to stop on that and that day. And it did stop. So she's been suffering a lot. And she's grown to the point where, like the saints, she says, I can't live without a day of suffering because I know suffering is my way of participating in Christ's cross. And it's my way of saving souls. So her vocation is to pray for the sick. And when sick people come to Medjugorje, she prays over them. She has an enormous charism for sick people. Plus, when you look at this Vitska girl, 
she is the most radiant person I've ever seen in my life. She's as radiant as the sun. She, her entire face. If you think that our that Mother Teresa was radiant, look at Vitska. <laughs> Even Mother <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> she looks like an angel. Is a moon next to the sun when you see yeah. Vitska. Then uh, Ivan, for example, who is very shy, interestingly enough, has the vocation to uh, pray for the youth. Jacob has to pray, I think, for the for the deceased. His mother died when he was very young. Um, I'll let Scott say more about the visionaries. But three of the visionaries dropped out quite early. Yeah, in the already in the eighties, one day Our Lady said, "Prepare yourself well for tomorrow's apparition," and then she stopped appearing to. For example, Ivanka was the first to fall out. And then later on, Miriana fell out. And then Yaakov. All of the three, when Our Lady stopped appearing to them, they fell almost into a, not a clinical depression, but a psychological depression in the sense that they would wait for her the next na- night to see her and they wouldn't see her. And it was very, very hard to stop seeing them. So even these things are difficult to to fake. Many psychological tests have been done on these children and one psychologist after the other, even communists, would turn around and say, these children are healthy and I'd rather start believing that God is appearing here or our lady's appearing than I believe that they're showing, putting up a show. Can I just add one thing real quick to what she's saying? Is uh, uh, when she, uh, Dr. Harriman saying uh, dropping out, that means that um, our lady has um, asked to reveal 10 messages to each one of the visionaries. Once, once the entire the the once all the messages are concluded within one visionary, the Blessed Mother will stop visiting that individual visionary, and so quickly uh, the two uh, visionaries had received all ten messages, and what the messages are is a is what's going to unfold uh, in the future before God comes, before Jesus Christ comes for His second coming. And so uh, it's really important to understand that point, just because um, right now there are, as, as uh, Dr. Harriman said, there's six visionaries, and uh, four out of the six have received all ten, and two of the the remaining two have received nine out of the ten, so they only have one left. Um, that's why um, the call to action right now within the world, as we understand with all the challenges that we're having right now, is, is so imperative, and I, I just wanted to jump in with that point just because I think it'll help a lot of people understand like the the urgency of what's going on to, in today's time. Yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you, Scott, for supplying that. What's also, I mean, what's important to know is that not all the 10 secrets are something negative. Um, some are positive. One, for example, very interesting, it concerns a sign that Our Lady has promised to give after her last apparition. And she's promised it's going to be a sign visible for anybody who who. I understand comes to Medjugorje, I'm not 100% certain, but a sign that will be given by heaven. Um, so one, Some of these so-called secrets, very much like in Fatima, concern the future of the world and some are devastating. And uh, Miriana, when she f- first learned about it, she would r- regularly cry and cry and cry and go into such desolation that Our Lady would give her um, additional appearances to help her get over this. Nonetheless, even though they know that the world will have to undergo a purification because of our many sins, I mean, we're living in an age, to, I mean, if you only think about abortion and the, the 70 million children that have been killed in the United States alone for the last 50 years, I mean, even without having an apparition, you, you just need to know your faith, you know, we're due for your purification. Um, nonetheless, even though these children know of some 
very difficult situations that will hit the world, all of them had children. And this confirms what Our Lady is always saying, whoever prays is not afraid of the future. It's one of her very important messages. Who prays is not afraid of the future. And you can see it in these children or visionaries. They know what's going to come and yet they all gave new life. And she also says whoever prays is open to life, obviously. Mm. I think one question that people, uh, particularly in the United States, have on their mind is, what about the church? Why hasn't the church recognized these apparitions yet? And I think, number one, one thing that's important to keep in mind is that same as you don't canonize someone as long as he is still alive, yeah, as as holy as Mother Teresa was, the church didn't go ahead and canonize her because none of us are sure of falling before we die. Our life can only be evaluated once we have completed it. And it's the same with an apparition. There is six visionaries involved. You know, um, you have to wait until everything is completed before you evaluate because out of the six, one or two or more could in their own personal life deviate. You You have to wait until everything is finished and then discern exactly what did she say to whom on which day what can the church approve of and what not? So it uh, until the church will be able in a position to make a final judgment, the apparitions need to stop. And luckily they have not stopped yet. However, something extraordinary happened and that's never happened before in the history of apparitions. That is, the local bishop at some point turned against the apparitions because something Our Lady said he took as a personal um, rebuke and so he he was a bit offended by what she said. And I, I they say he misunderstood what she said. It doesn't matter. He turned against Medjugorje. And normally it's in the jurisdiction of the bishop to judge a local apparition. But in that case, Vatican intervened and said, no, it's no longer your jurisdiction. We put it in the jurisdiction of all the bishops of then Yugoslavia. Um, then later on, something even more extraordinary happened. Rome said, we're going to take this to us. And now it's with the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And Pope Benedict was the one who instituted a commission under the leadership of Cardinal Ruini. Cardinal Ruini was the former vicar general of Rome. Very, very good man. He had uh, a commission and the commission came to the following um, recommendations to the Holy Father, now Pope Francis. Um, They recommended that the first seven apparitions, whom they treat as something that is closed, even though it continued afterwards, the first seven apparitions should be recognized as real apparitions, that the church should, um, Medjugorje should be placed under the Vatican, which it is now. The Vatican has delegated an apostolic administrator. Unfortunately, he just died, but uh, this was Monsignor Hoser. He was very, very positive in his uh, feedback to the Holy Father about Medjugorje. They they even recommended that Medjugorje be declared a pontifical shrine of the church, Mm. which is quite extraordinary. Mm. And um, that the church organized pilgrimages, that the church would allow organized pilgrimages to Medjugorje, which is we can now go thanks to this anonymous donor who just showed up and said, I want all the seminarians to go to Medjugorje. Now, what impressed me personally always was John Paul II's testimony, because I have a very close personal friend, um, uh, a Monsignor in Austria, who was uh, close to the Holy Father in the 80s, because he was secretary to a bishop that was close to John Paul, St. John Paul II now, um, Bishop Nielitzer. 
And uh, my friend and Bishop Nielitzer were with John Paul II and in having been commissioned by John Paul II, they had gone to Russia, communist Russia, to do the consecration of the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Remember when, because John Paul II was attempted to be killed on the Fatima anniversary, he realized that the church had not officially responded to Our Lady's call in Fatima, namely to consecrate Russia and the entire world to her Immaculate Heart. So he set a date in 1984 when all the bishops in the world at the same time should consecrate the world to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And he sent Bishop Nielitsa undercover with my friend um, Monsignor, I'm not so sure if I'm supposed to say his name. <laughs> So the Holy Father sent Bishop Nielitzer with my friend, uh, the Monsignor from Austria, to Russia, undercover, in lay clothes. They went into the Kreml and celebrated the Mass to the consecration in the museum underneath a piece. Uh, my, my friend, the Monsignor, was holding a Pravda newspaper, which is the, the Russian <laughs> newspaper. And underneath, Monsignor, Bishop Nielitzer was saying Mass and consecrating Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in consonance with the other bishops in the world. So they came back to John Paul II and they said, mission completed. And then John Paul said, well, on the way back, did you go to Medjugorje? And they said, no, um, how could we? It's not been recognized. And John Paul II said, come to my private library. He showed them, he had an entire shelf full of books with Medjugorje, books on Medjugorje. And he said, if I was not the Holy Father, I would have gone long ago. I am convinced that what she started in Lourdes and continued in Fatima, she's bringing to completion in Medjugorje. And that the following year, this is what Our Lady then said to one of the visionaries, what I started in Lourdes and continued in Fatima, I'm going to bring to completion in Medjugorje. And now remember in Fatima, she'd promised Lucia, Sister Lucia, that Lucia would live when Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph. And now in 1981, Lucia was still not quite young, but she was still very much alive and she still lived for another 20 years and died in the beginning of the 2000s. Um, so that much on where the church stands with regards to Medjugorje, she can't recognize it yet, but she is extremely open and even encouraging pilgrimages and people like Cardinal Sarah, yeah, who is, I think, very unsuspicious of being in any way, <laughs> liberal or, you know, sure. disobedient to the church. Cardinal mm -hmm. Sarah was just there in the summer saying the opening mass for the youth festival. Mm -hmm. um, Cardinal Schoenborn says, and I can attest to this, his seminary would be empty if it wasn't for Medjugorje. In the United States, you're lucky you still have very, very good and sound vocations. It's different in Europe. And most of us in Germany, if I see where the church is alive, the young people, they've all converted in Medjugorje and come back. And they are the ones who are now putting the Eucharist at the center, asking for confession <laughs> and leading a life of prayer. And just on that note, I just want to uh, jump in that St. Uh, Patrick's has had a, an absolutely unprecedented opportunity given to uh, us recently um, that we had a donor that came to us that was inspired directly by their Blessed Mother to actually assist every single seminarian within St. Patrick's Seminary to pilgrim over to Magigori. Um And I have talked to my brothers in other seminaries and also priests, and this is unprecedented. Um, we know for a fact that our Blessed Mother has her eye on the seminary and that she wants 
I, I believe in my heart of hearts um, to have each one of these potential priests to be lampposts across each one of their parishes to bring uh, them closer through our Blessed Mother's Immaculate Heart to our Lord. Um, and she's doing this in a massive way. You know, she, she can touch hearts anywhere she wants, but to have literally busloads of individuals come simultaneously to receive, in my heart, some special graces that are going to be poured out upon these seminarians that they will carry throughout the the times when we're going to start to receive some of these, you know, beautiful messages. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Harriman. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us today. There's so much to think about and to unpack. Thank you, Dr. Harriman, for explaining um, the Church's position and giving the background, and give both of you for giving your testimonies also. It's incredibly beautiful to see. And I think that's something important to remember, right? That it's not always just about, oh, well, should this be or should this not be? There's so much up to us that there's so much that's out of our control. There's so much that, and as we grow in the life of the Christian, and as we try to follow the Lord more closely, the more we realize that, the more we realize our own sinfulness, and the more we realize that Satan is after us and trying to keep us from getting towards things that are good. And, you know, it's something that Our Lady, the the hammer, she takes St. Joseph's hammer and protects us too. She gets the terror of demons just as much as he is. And so, yes, there's so much um, that more that could be said, but I think that this is a good place to end it. If our listening audience would like to know more about Medjugorje and the apparitions or would like to learn a little bit more themselves, Dr. Harriman, uh, what are, could you provide us with some resources or some places where we could go to do yes. so? Happily. So one book that I would really recommend everyone to read is a book called My Heart Will Triumph. And the author is Miriana Soldo, M-I-R-J-A-N-A, and then Soldo, just like it sounds, S-O-L-D-O. She is one of the six visionaries and she stopped having her regular apparitions a while ago. And she gives her, you get a first-hand testimony of how she experienced the first encounter with Our Lady and the difficulty of growing up as a young girl with this supernatural phenomenon going on in her world and um, in her life, sorry, and the persecution of the communist militia. It's very, very um, powerful. I think that's the best book that's ever been written because it's a first-hand testimony. Then there's another book that's really recommendable by an author called Wayne Weibel. So Weibel, W-E-I-B-L-E. And the book is called Medjugorje, colon, The Message. He is super interesting because he's a Lutheran who was pulled into becoming a missionary of Our Lady, um, really out of nowhere. The heaven made it clear to him that he was to abandon his profession and as a Lutheran was drawn to Medjugorje and then became one of her primary apostles in the English-speaking world. He has written lots of books on Medjugorje, consequently, and he eventually ended up becoming Catholic. But this is the first book he wrote and uh, it's also the only one I read from this author because I'm new to the English-speaking uh, literature on Medjugorje, but I can highly recommend that book. And then I would say if we can think of more recommendations, we will put them in, in the description below the podcast. 
And then there's also, of course, Medjugorje has an official website, which is called Medjugorje.org. And there you find all the messages Our Lady has given and you get a description of the visionaries. And then also, I think the parish from there, the website should lead you to the Medjugorje Parish uh, YouTube channel, where often the evening program will be uh, see will be transmitted. Um, you have recordings from important homilies that have been given, testimonies. Um, that's a very good place to start. Very good. Thank you so much. We will include all of those that you've mentioned here also in the description podcast also. Thank you so much again for joining us today. And thank you all of you who have stayed with us, listened with us. And we hope that you have a blessed rest of your day and that the Blessed Mother can wrap her mantle around you and protect you and help you with whatever you are praying for and whatever you have in mind. And so let us, Scott, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed Mother, we hope that you inspire all of your children um, that have uh, listened to this message to um, have great, great inspiration to uh, visit you and to see you in such a visible way uh, in Magigori, not only to understand um, truly the, the love that our Blessed Mother and our Lord is lavishing on us at this time. Uh, we also ask uh, that our Blessed Mother be with us in all of our decision-making and bring everything to her so she can present it perfectly to her, her son. And we also uh, ask her to bless every single listener to with her motherly blessing, so then they may take these messages to the umpteen children that she would like to inspire. We ask all of this through our Blessed Mother in Jesus Christ's most holy name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to St. Pat's Chat. Thank you for joining us today. Our podcast is produced and recorded by seminarians here at St. Patrick's Seminary and University in Menlo Park, California. You and your friends can check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever podcasts can be found. If you want to know more about St. Patrick's Seminary or St. Pat's Chat, please check out our website, stpsu.edu. Until next time, remember that some of the most honest discussions about God and His Church are not found in debates with rivals, but rather in chats with friends.